Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for December 26th, 29th. 2019, the last show of 2019. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes. Well, Catherine, you haven't been on in a, in a few uh, weeks because I think yeah. we had a special show and you had a party. So to make you feel welcome back, we got a guest from Michigan. Um, actually, I don't think he resides currently in Michigan, but he's from there just like you are. Dante Cheney um, works with Meet the Press and NBC News, the American Communities Project, George Washington University. We're very excited to have him, and we thought that would be like our welcome back gift to you, Catherine. Well, thank you very much, and don't forget the Wall Street Journal. Yes, yeah. all those publications. It sounds like he's got more jobs. I remember the old In Living Color skit, the guys would have multiple jobs and play in multiple bands. Um, that, that's kind of his resume, um, sounds yeah. like. Yes, Well, but to start off the show, just something that came out in the past roughly hour, um, at least on Political Wire and, and Axios, I think was first reported, uh, Congressman John Lewis and civil rights icon, really he's had two huge legacies, um, has just announced that he is undergoing treatment for stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, since I'm not a you know medical expert, I don't want to play one, but from my understanding, that is um, pretty severe, pretty serious. Um, so that's obviously not good news. Uh, Catherine, he's, actually you live in the 5th Congressional District. Give us your thoughts. Oh, well, it's devastating uh, for those of, for everyone. I mean, he's a, um, like you said, he's an icon and and an absolutely wonderful, uh, delightful man and wonderful leader. And I just hope him, you know, send all the good health vibes I can his way and hope that he's got a great team uh, of medical experts working with him and That's all I, all I can say. Yes. Uh, Tim, you're the first one, I think, of the three of us to see this. Uh, give us your thoughts. I was sitting here thinking that I think the first political person that I recall meeting was in 1964, and it was Franklin Roosevelt, Jr. And, and gosh, in, since that time, I, I don't know how many people in politics that I've met, uh, but I, I, I can honestly say I've never met a better human being, not not only just in politics, but a better human being in my life, I, I don't think, than, than John Lewis. Uh, uh, anyone who has ever had an opportunity to spend any time at all with him uh, is touched by what just a decent person he is. What uh, if 
Catherine used the word genuine before we came on the air, and 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 he is certainly that. Now all I can say is uh, all my prayers go out to to uh, the congressman and uh, and uh, his folks and his family, and uh, it's just. Uh, it, it it really is devastating, Catherine. It it, it really is. I mean, that's that's about it. What do you think, David? Yes, um, I, I several things on that. Uh, one, I kind of think back to the past few weeks and Johnny Isaacson, who's had you know some major medical issues, and this is a Republican that um, you know is voted pretty Republican. But as he's been retiring, one of the probably two most, if not the most prominent uh, Georgian, because they actually let him sit on the Senate floor, was John Lewis. And John Lewis has, has really been, um, you know, kind of promoting his retirement in a very, one of the best shows we've had in recent years of bipartisanship. And you're kind of like, well, uh, that really, well, A, it shows who he is, but B, I mean, hopefully that's, you know, some goodwill and good karma that, um, you know, he'll get back as he goes through his struggles here. Um, over the next few months and, and however long uh, of how he's treated uh, Johnny Isaacson. And, and so I think that's kind of a positive thing to lead into this. Um, another thought I have is I was one of fortunate that um, I actually have worked for his campaign uh, of all the many campaigns I've worked for, if I, you know, name three or four to kind of say, you know, tell us some people that you're really proud of working for. John Lewis's campaign would definitely be one of them. Um, back in the the mid um, twenty two thousand zeros, if you will, and then the final thing, um, if people have, I mean, obviously he has his own books, Walking with the Wind, that are just amazing to read about the civil rights part of his career. But um, you know, he won uh, a special election back in nineteen eighty six when White Fowler was elected um, to the uh, U.S. Senate, and. There's a book that's probably not very famous, and I don't even think you can get it on Amazon. I read it out of the Georgia State Library because I think it's kind of more of an in-house printed book. And it talks about that campaign, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this. He went in that race as the underdog. Julian Vaughn was actually the favorite when that campaign started. And John Lewis just ran a very grassroots, ground-based campaign and, and kind of you know, uh, was an upset. I mean, I th- there was obviously a lot of candidates in that race, and he was in the top, top tier, but it was still a, a surprise. And, and it's just amazing to think about when you think about Congress, like name, you know, 10, you know, the most influential people out of that, you know, 435 bo- person body, and to think that he, um, you know, had to kind of run an insurgent campaign. Um, pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Tim, you probably remember that campaign better than us. As very, far as very, when it very happened. well. Julian Bond had the the star power. He had a lot of celebrity backing from um, you know Hollywood types. Uh, it, it was uh, expected to be more of a coronation for for him than than a race. And uh, it, it, John Lewis just. Although people who knew John Lewis was no, no one really gave him much of a chance, and and uh, he 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 prevailed, and uh, he what a fine uh, congressman he has been too. Uh, he he really has. Well, if you've ever if you've ever if anyone's ever seen him on the campaign trail, it's no surprise that he won. 
Because mm-hmm. he's like a little Energizer bunny out there. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the story about him. The lady, he wanted to put a sign in this woman's front yard, and she said, oh, no, my my lawn hasn't been mowed. And he went and got the lawnmower out of her shed and mowed her lawn so he could put the sign in there. <laughs> and that was yeah. like in... That was like in 2000, I don't know, six, eight, four, you know, it recently, in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. So well, he when he probably a, didn't need the sign. Yeah. Right. My, yeah. And, and he, I mean, he loves to campaign. Like he always says, like, yeah, run against me. I want a campaign. That's why when no one runs against him, he goes off and campaigns for everybody else because he loves it. He loves talking to people. So anyway. You know, Catherine, Catherine, I had a crazy idea about 20 years ago that I was going to invite John Lewis to come up here to Chattooga County to RJJ dinner, and everybody said, oh, he's not going to come up there to little Chattooga County. And he most certainly did. Of course he did. And what a great speech he made that night. He, He raised the roof off of that. Civic yeah. Center. We had 250 people jammed in there. Some of them came from as far away as below Atlanta and stuff to see him. And uh, that three hours is among the the highlights of my life in politics. It it it's just uh, any anyone that's ever seen him in that setting, it's almost like you're seeing him in a political setting too. He's in political mode but he he was, he was just wonderful that night and such a personable fe- fella to get to sit beside and talk to and uh great stories he has and uh well you were yeah, there I remember that, that night, night too yeah. that was wasn't that 1998 1999 uh, 99 but i think you ended up having uh, a litany of people come that year um that were statewide candidates for the future because uh, we they did. thought, well, that's a happening because Mark Taylor and uh, Kathy Cox were in attendance. I, I think when you got John no, Lewis, we, you then ended up getting a bunch of other people. We, we uh, had a young, they, we we had a young uh, college whippersnapper there that night by the name of uh, Jason Carter. The first time yeah. I ever met him, he was just a kid. It, but uh, yeah. they they came from far and wide to, to see him. That now we had the fire marshal threatening us. Did I ever tell you that? Yes. Yeah. Because we overpacked the room. I I told him, well, I tell you what, you go in there and you decide who's going to leave. <laughs> Start with the sheriff. He's sitting right over there. <laughs> he left <laughs> us alone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, um, you know, hopefully we'll have some good news medically to share um, in the you know near yeah. future uh, on that. Um, but let's, you know, we kind of we planned out a show otherwise, um, but we obviously things happen that's out of everyone's control. So let's kind of talk about this presidential race that we hadn't um, really checked in on a few weeks, and this same way. Um, because we, of course, had impeachment talk, and then we've had other guests. But but let's take some time, and, and this race kind of has changed in different ways, and we probably can't talk about every storyline, if you will. But but one I do want to talk about is the latest polls I've seen, and, the, and it's been a few weeks. I think they kind of took a hiatus for the holidays. Um, 
had Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, um, ahead in Iowa, but he has been flipping in the national polls. Um, and also, if if you read on Twitter and other social media sources, he's really been getting a lot of venom, probably more so than even he got in the debate uh, about the you know the wine cave and other things. Um, and so there's this dynamic where he's leading in Iowa or was, and I think it'll be interesting to see some more polls. But yet he's slipping nationally. And how does this work? Can he? kind of, uh, you know, defy gravity in Iowa, he wins it, and then that helps him nationally, or uh, is, is Iowa become a non-factor, or is the slippage going to follow the national slippage? Uh, Catherine, what's your thought? You know, I think it's, it's really hard to figure out what's going to happen until it happens, but I, I think that I'm really disgusted by this whole wine cave conversation. Um, it wasn't his choice to pick that place. It was the host of the camp, host of the party. And, you know, we all know when we're planning events, we want to make it as special as possible so we can attract people. So I just, I think that is a much longer conversation than we've had about it. Anyway, um, I mean, you know, the polls look really strong for Bernie and uh, Joe, but I just can't help but think that um, something could shift, and it could be Buttigieg or it could be someone else. I, I'm concerned about Buttigieg because he just doesn't have support in the African-American community. Um, he doesn't have support in um, the the non-college, as much support in the non-college educated community. So I think um, he, I mean, I think if he were the nominee, which I think at this point I think is unlikely, um, he would get support because he would be running against Trump. And so I think that our Democrats will come out. But I do think those are uh, barriers for his success. Yes. Tim, kind of what's your thought as far as uh, Mayor Pete and and the state of the race and and, um, where it's going? Uh, Biden, Warren, and Sanders. You know, others have slipped, I guess, into and out of those top three places in the last six months or so. But these three always seem to end back up there at the end of the day. And, and, and I just have to keep thinking that surely one of those three will win the nomination. For those three to still be there at this time tells me that they have a hardened base of support that's going to go out now and, and, and vote for them. I've got to think that. Uh, while the others, uh, you know, have slipped in and out, uh, like Kamala Harris did, just rocketed into the top and then all of a sudden back, back, back. Seems like the same thing has happened to the mayor. It, it, it's easy to see him ahead in Iowa. Uh, for one thing, he supposedly has a good infrastructure, a good organization there, and he's really been hitting the state hard. For another thing, uh, Catherine, you know, mentioned his lack of uh, 
African-American support, well, that that's really a non-factor, you know, in Iowa and pretty much in right. New Hampshire as well. Um, uh, uh, another thing uh, about this wine cake thing, um, fair or not fair, I, I won't address, but, but I have seen over the years some little event like that, some little slippage, some little saying come up uh, in reference to a candidate, and it just unwound their whole campaign in the blink of an eye. Perhaps that's what's happening with the mayor because his poll numbers have really, really, really started taking a hit since since that wine cave thing in in, in the debate. Um, so um, I, I still think he could be the surprise winner in Iowa, but I'm not sure that that's going to make any difference past that point. It would keep him in the race for a while. But uh, – I still think we have to look at Biden and Warren and Sanders as the three favorites to win the nomination. What do you think, David? Well, I mean, we need to keep on you know, talking about them in a, a different part of the conversation. Um, but but this, this venom that he's taking on Twitter, and it's people – and I actually like reading Twitter. I find a lot of it interesting, but there is this, you know – some you know small percentage of the people are on Twitter, and then the people that are on Twitter tweet. The like ninety percent of the tweets come from you know this very small section of people on Twitter, and so it's these uh, um, opinion makers that kind of um, put a lot of the political thought on Twitter sphere. Twitter sphere that doesn't match what's you know necessarily reality across America. Uh, Catherine, why is he taking so much um, so many hits? Among the um, well-informed, uh, well-educated left, um, like he is, because they—I mean, I've heard him mentioned in tweets and sentences with Tulsi Gabbard, and I find that really unfair to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's because uh, I think that our our you know ultra progressive uh, folks who are on Twitter. I mean, remember. The number of people on Twitter is really, really small compared to the country. Um, are uh, are very frustrated by this um, idea that rich people have more influence on him than other people. And I think, you know, I've, I'm sure you've heard me say a hundred times that for me, it's not the quid. It's the pro quo. Like, it's fine. I, I'm, I always, I'm like, take money from wherever it comes. We need it, take it. And the, the problem is, if that money is influencing your decisions and your policies, then that's a bigger problem that needs to be addressed. It's not the money. It's the influence. So, I mean, I, I, a lot of people disagree with me about this, and I know that it's a, a little bit of a, um outlandish theory. But, I mean, I, 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 that's how I feel. Like, if, if the money is influencing you, that's a bigger problem. 
Yeah, well, Catherine, I think you're right in that George Soros and Tom Steyer and some of these other folks have given millions of dollars to political causes. And other than them wanting to uh, see you know, America and the world be a better place, I don't know that they're looking for that pro quo, if you will. Um, you know, they're not looking for extra access. They're just wanting, you um, know, a different vision of the world and America. Tim? Here, here, here's a problem that, that the mayor has. He settled in as something of a centrist candidate, or, or at least has given people that perception. Well, we already have heavyweights that are centrist candidates, plus the, those that, that are already in that position actually have a history with some of our oh, core yeah. voting bases, such as African-Americans. Uh, they also have a lengthy history, you know, of service in the party. And, and so, uh, obviously, he's going to be attacked from, from, from the left uh, for, for that reason. Um, and that, I get that. I mean, I have a lot of friends who just say he's not – he doesn't have the experience. I mean, they have right. other issues with him, but he's he's inexperienced. And, uh, I mean, I think that we've – I think the whole um, outlook, the whole landscape has changed because of Donald Trump. Right, right. Like, do we think that Pete Buttigieg would have – I mean, I don't know – would have run for president? Uh, if Donald Trump hadn't been elected, or Tom Steyer, for that matter. Yeah, I do think that uh, it, it is interesting where, you know, kind of Pete Buttigieg, I think he's, you know, he's from Indiana, and it's this state where it's hard to move up. I, I think I've said this before, but, you know, it's kind of like he's locked in in South Bend um, because, you know, this is Mike Pence's state. Um, it's a fairly Republican state and a fairly – you know, socially conservative state, um, so it'd be easier for him to win votes across America uh, than it would be um, from you know to, to win it in Indiana. Because when he ran statewide for state treasurer, you know, although he was you know less accomplished, he hadn't been mayor of South Bend at that time. Um, it, it didn't fare well. Uh, um, so I, I think that's part of it. I mean, he's he's done better than I think most people ever would have thought that a mayor of a small town or not a, well a small city or you know would have done because it is a small city. Well, it's just um, uh, you know that's been impressive. Although it is quite a jump to go from a small city to the presidency there, of the United yeah, States. Yeah, uh, I was about to say that he's yeah. mayor of a, of a city of a hundred about a hundred thousand people. Uh, uh, an upper Midwestern industrial town, and that's fine. But people don't want to see that big jump right now. They just saw that big jump in 2016 from from a guy that that you know was perceived not to be ready for president uh, prime time. I'm not saying that the mayor's not ready to be president president, but you know I I, I think voters this year are looking for someone. Uh, that they're more comfortable with knowing that they have a career of public service behind them at the national level. That's something we can contrast with Donald Trump. Exactly. 
Yes. Well, now let's kind of talk about some more things. Before I get to the big part that, Tim, I know you want to get to, let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard because (laughs) this is someone that has very little support, and her support seems to come from – I'm not sure where. She seems to be the darling of, uh, like, Fox News viewers, but that's really not a lot of Democrats. Uh, But she's polling, you know – Probably higher than some candidates that that we would consider much more accomplished because she actually registers, unlike say a, a Michael Bennett, um, and there are others as well. Not not just to single him out, but um, Catherine, who's supporting her exactly in the Democratic primary? Well, I was shocked to learn that you know, it was so funny. I, just like two weeks ago, I was like, "Whatever happened to Dennis Kucinich?" Like, we haven't heard from him. Where is he? And then, like, ten days later, he comes out and and endorses her, which I just think is so odd. I would have thought he would be, like, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or, like, Andrew Yang, someone not as um, – it just seems so out of place to me. Um, I don't know who supports her. Everything I – now, you know, of course, I live in my bubble, but – I never see anyone saying anything good about her. Like, everybody's always criticizing her or at least rolling their eyes about her. So I don't get it. But she wasn't on the last debate, so she must be losing some traction. Yeah. Well, now, Catherine, now you talk about your bubble. You know, last week I went to the Falcons game. We rode Marta, so we went down Paces Ferry, and um, there there were two signs in the same yard in Atlanta. Um, that are supporting her, so maybe those people can be in your bubble too, and and you'd know at least those people <laughs> at that house. Um, but seriously, yeah. um, T- Tim, I read something. I sent it. To, I think to y'all it said she is the darling of the anti anti Trump left. What, what exactly no, is the anti no, anti Trump left? What, what is that, it? What even that, is that? Because I can that, keep people that, saying don't impeach him because that, we're scared of blowback, but that, not that is not supporting. That is not true. There's been a profile developed by various news organizations of her average supporter. They are overwhelmingly male, and I mean overwhelmingly. She has very little female support. Among all the Democratic candidates, Tulsi Gabbard is more likely to have supporters that have voted for Donald Trump in 2016 than than any other Democrat. Um, they most of her support is conservative. And 14% of her supporters say they will only vote for her and no one else. Yes, Elliot Moore tweeted that out. Yeah, that might have given rise to some of the talk that maybe she might jump into a third-party spoiler-type campaign. But who would she spoil? If what I just read you was true about who her average supporter is – wouldn't it hurt Trump a little more than uh, the Democratic nominee? Yeah, it could. I mean, it's one of those things where if some state's within a thousand votes and she gets five thousand votes in the state, you can say that she spoiled it, whoever was second, because theoretically um, that's what happened. Now, now, Catherine, I guess there's kind of two theories then of who her supporters are, based, especially based on what Tim said. 
One could be a bunch of Republicans that know that there's not really going to be a primary race, and so they can pick up a Democratic ballot and just vote for um, whoever they want to to kind of throw a monkey rich in things. Or, I mean, and I'm going to try to be as delicate as I can about this, since it's overwhelmingly male conservatives could, could be – they won't. They like the fact that she's under forty and physically fit, female. Um, Catherine, what do you think? Could it be some combination, or more one of those than the other? You mean they're they're voting for because she's hot? Well, I tried not to say that. And, and Catherine, I will be honest. You, well, you might, but you will hear of. I mean, you as a more of a global sense. Sometimes people will. When they have no other inclination about issues, we'll be that superficial about things. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I, that sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> but, okay, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, buy that, that there's some people that uh, might believe that. But I think it's probably – I think it's – what was the first promise you gave? Well, it's just there's no there's no Republican race this year. You know, Donald Trump's pretty much yeah, killed all the Republican that's primaries, that's or his campaign has. And you know, hey, if I, I go pick up a Democratic ballot and vote for her, and I'll throw chaos into the race amongst the the real contenders. Well, I, I don't know that they're that um, thoughtful, but they might be just like, well, um, I. I, I'm not, I'm not going to vote in the Republican primary because there's nothing to do. So I'll vote in the Democratic primary. I'll vote for Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know that they're, they take it to that next step. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a joke. Like that they recognize that she's, that maybe they recognize that she's probably not um, in the, you know, the top bracket of likely to win candidates, but their little um, rebellion against um, the Democrats. I, I suppose that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there like people that used to do that. I mean, people used to talk about doing that, like for other races. You know, like I remember when um, Ralph Reed was running. What did he run for? Lieutenant governor or governor or whatever? Lieutenant. A while yeah. Ago and yeah. Lieutenant governor. And people were saying, I'm going to go vote for him because. We can beat him, and I was like, "Hey, you know, be careful what you ask for." <laughs> uh-huh. Or, or the theory, I think. Yeah, the theory also there was, I think, simple. Said they didn't want him to win, so they'd vote for Casey Cagle. Um, and who knows? In that year, there was a very legitimate primary race for uh, Democratic nomination. Um, you know, so, so that probably should have been where people were voting if they were real Democrats, uh, given how. Okay. Substantial that race was. Well, well, back back to Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, she knows, of course. I mean, of course, that there is no way she is going to be the Democratic nominee. What's her angle? What is she after? What is she trying to do here? Yeah, because you know she voted present, which uh, the, the irony there was she has one of the worst uh, attendance records this session. Uh, among members of Congress. Well, I mean, she may have been campaigning, but nevertheless, she, you're going to show also, up. You're not going to have an opinion. She, she's also quitting Congress. 
Well, yes, and Kansas State is a very democratic do? state. Yes, she probably yeah. wouldn't win re-election. Right. Polls suggested, oh, she'll run for another office. Who's going to nominate her in the Democratic primary? And then she's probably not going to win a state. Every blue moon, a Republican will win, you know, governor or something. But usually they're kind of moderate and, and not as flashy as she likes to try to be with these votes of, you know, present and whatnot. So well, I don't know what her end game is. What after Unless after all the votes are cast and she's gone, then what does she do then? Well, she's got to have a plan. Unless she's thinking maybe there is some type of Fox News, you know, token Democrat uh, media personality spot. Um, you know, they've got to have somebody, and, and that would be wonderful for them because they can throw a D behind her name, and then she can give some totally lukewarm opinion on most things, and, you know, and it kind of reinforces what they want. I mean, I don't know if that's somewhere out there, but, I mean, that seems like one – in game, I mean, if if you will, but uh, we shall see, you know, what happens in coming weeks, uh, you know, how this thing plays out. Uh, but let's continue, and I guess it's time we get to the the bigger races, um, or the or the the you know three that have been some version of one, two, and three pretty much this entire campaign. And I know I sent y'all something a few weeks ago. It was a tweet by Nate Silver, five thirty eight. And it talked about how, you know, Bull said, oh, this race has been a crazy roller coaster. And it showed, you know, like Joe Biden had, say, 27% a year ago, and Bernie Sanders had like 19. And then, you know, today it's like 27 and 18. I mean, it, it's almost unchanged with the top two candidates. Um, Catherine, why do these two gentlemen just continue to be so consistent? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, that we know them and that they have name recognition and um, they have a they have strong bases of support, even if it's, you know, I, I think that, you know, maybe not that the entire percentage that are polling, but they have strong bases of support um, that sort of give them momentum. Yeah, Tim, your thoughts? Well, I, I, you know, I want to add Elizabeth Warren to that mix too. Oh, I, I said mean, three. I'm sorry if it, yeah. if I didn't imply uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren's but, in those top three. But but uh, I, I think it goes back a lot to what I've mentioned before that after this debacle of of, of a president we've got now who has absolutely zero experience either in public service or as a general in the military or just or just anything. Um he's he's a I don't know, a toot your own horn businessman or something and then all of a sudden he's a guy you take off the street and make president. We won't we really are looking for the opposite of that in our party this year, I think. Um that may be why some of the younger candidates have not broken into this top three and stayed there, although some of them uh, would, would probably make very good candidates and very good presidents as well. Uh, we are looking at three seasoned uh, political people who have been in office for a long time. People know them. They're comfortable with them. They would, the average voter would, be, would accept 
any of them probably, especially when compared to Donald Trump. So I think it's the comfort of knowing these people that has kept them where they are. Yeah, you know, y'all mentioned, um, you know, known commodities and things like things like that. Have y'all ever encountered one of those freestyle machines that Coca Cola has? Yeah, there are a lot of fast food restaurants. You have Tim. You know what I'm talking about? What's that now? Well, those freestyle machines. You go into Zaxby's, Wendy's, Burger King, other locations. They're these these giant box that that it's called a freestyle machine, and it has like hundreds of drink choices because you can, you know, it has oh, yeah. Coke yeah. and it yeah. has Coke yeah. and root beer and Sprite and yeah. Fanta and all the you know usual yeah. suspects, the zeros and everything else. Yeah. Then you can put in cherry flavor and vanilla yeah. and orange and everything, and I mean mm. hundreds of choices. Mm-hmm. Have you ever? How many times have you ever been to you know get your drink out of one of those and the person in front of you gets Coke or Diet Coke with no flavoring? Yeah. It, it, for me, it's all the time. It, it's, oh, they're getting Coke. They could have 100 different things. They could put all this in it. No, they're just getting Coke. Um, yeah. I think that's what we have here. You know, Joe Biden is Coke and, you know, Bernie Sanders is Pepsi or, or Diet Coke. Or what are you going to say? I mean, it's just they are known commodities in a lot of ways. Um, and so, they, too, is Elizabeth Warren. flashy about them. What? Yeah. And so, too, is Elizabeth Warren, a very known commodity, been at the forefront of political news since she entered the Senate and was pretty well known in political circles before that. Um, yeah, I think she might be more Dr. Pepper. It's been around, yeah. but it's a little more unique. Um, you, you know, there's a little, you know, more, you know, because it is, I mean, um, it's interesting there, and it's just the way that they have continued you know what, uh, to, to maintain this thing. Jim? I, David, I do the same thing. I walk into the QT after I've, say, been to a, a football game in Atlanta on a Saturday, and they got that whole line all the way around half the wall of every kind of thing you could think of to drink and put in, in your mouth, and I walk over to the coffee pot and get a cup of regular coffee. That's what I'm comfortable with. That's that's what I know. Uh, uh, that's what's substantial. Uh, those people are just like that. I mean, for crying yeah. out loud, uh, Joe Biden entered the U.S. Senate the year I graduated from high school. You know. Yeah, um, I, I guess when I go to one of those machines, I get uh, Fanta Peach Zero. I guess what? it's been an RPG. So that's you something that either didn't get in the race or dropped out three months ago. I'm not sure. You know, that's so uh, weird and off ballot, if you will. Um, I always and get, Catherine, if you I want to share get, yours, you can. I get diet, ginger ale, cherry. Cherry diet, okay. ginger ale. Yeah, Catherine, your candidate oh. either didn't run or dropped out too, like mine. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but, but this I think that's what's going on here because you know my life. <laughs> they, they never make because, it. Yeah, it, it's just I mean, you know, and it's and I've been, you know, kind of on this project the past few months of trying to listen to either the autobiography or a biography of all the candidates. Um, you know, I, I listened to the two most recent ones. I listened to Pete uh, Buttigieg's book, and I listened to a book um, 
uh, called The Book of Joe about Joe Biden. Both great books. It's funny. When you listen to these books, and I've listened to Kamala Harris's, and I listened to two on Elizabeth Warren, including our guest the other week, Antonia Felix's book, um, you, you like these candidates all better when you get to hear about them because there's all such uh, interesting stories. Um, but, you know, you know, Joe Biden has been around, and there is the age question, although um, other than the health scare when he was – probably in his late 40s, he's relatively healthy. Um, the more he's out and campaigning, Catherine, do you think people get more comfortable with his age? Uh, no. Well, I've been wise. I think people – I think that – I mean, I'm getting more uncomfortable with his age as I watch him. Now, Bernie looks, like, so much better since he had his heart – um, surgery. Like, we were just commenting on that at the debate when we were watching the debate last week that he looks like so much better. I don't understand it. It's crazy. But um, no, I think uh, I think time hurts Joe Biden and his health and his age. But he's actually younger than Bernie Sanders. I know, but like a year. But <laughs> I, I I think that his age shows more. The, more, the longer we see him, and he sort of, you know, does this, like, doesn't seem to sometimes, I'm not saying that this is the case, but it sometimes seems like he doesn't know what he's talking about, and um, he just, sometimes when I watch him, I feel like he looks like a, um, a someone who's aging and isn't really up to the big task. Okay, Tim, your thoughts on the same question. Well, it, you know, it would be nice to have uh, a candidate in their 40s, uh, a, a Barack Obama or a John Kennedy, come forth now, which would present such a nice contrast to uh, the present occupant of the White House, who is himself in his 70s and He's about one Big Mac away from a cardiac event himself. And, and it would be nice to have that contrast, but it just simply is not going to work out that way. Our top three candidates are, are all 70 or older. Elizabeth Warren, 70. I believe Biden is 76 and Bernie, 77, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and And Trump, you know, be 73 um and that and that's just just the way that that it's it's gonna it's gonna shake out uh yes i i i guess uh biden does show his age somewhat the that coupled with the fact that he has had a bit of a problem with stuttering you know historically over the years uh that's something that doesn't get out there very much but he has had that that particular medical problem that's why sometimes he'll stop stammer go in another direction that sort of thing i think the lucid thoughts the clarity of mind are all there it's just when he expresses it uh sometimes something a little different comes out and I think that is a combination of, of, of probably the problem I mentioned and his age 
and 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 the fact that a lot of times when we when we see him is at the end of a long day of campaigning for a person his age. Um, I, I think though he he's gonna he he's gonna be fine, uh, you know. But what what I don't know is how voters uh, at the end of the day will view that. Is it an issue? Yes, it's it's gonna be an issue. Yeah, I, it's just so amazing that you know we say, oh, the, there should be a younger candidate, and there were three of them that that made more sense as far as you know the the Democratic Party trying to show a contrast for Trump, but Better O'Rourke, Kamala Harris, and you know Tim Ryan all. I guess Kamala Harris is over fifty, but the other two are under fifty. Um, you know they they fit the the. You know the central casting, if you will. I know Donald Trump likes to use that term in politics. You know what looks good as far as if it was a Hollywood yeah. movie, they all made more sense. But, but the three old people, but, you know, outlasted them. But they share one trait with Trump that we've talked about that that a lot of our voters find unsettling, and that's a pretty significant lack of experience among some of them. And I think that's what's hurt those uh, some of those younger candidates. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, and all of them had served at least in Congress. In Kamala Harris's case, two different, um, you know, statewide offices, attorney general. And uh, U.S. Senator. So, I mean, it's just um, obviously, and here's the thing all three of them have more federal legislative experience than Pete Buttigieg, and he's still in the race. I mean, it's just been a, a unusual, um, you know, thing where I think I heard it said like if you were to say five, seven months ago, these are going to be the final candidates, you know, people would say, well, where where's Kamala Harris and, and Beto O'Rourke in this thing? You know, people would be surprised by certainly those two uh, not making any further. Um, well, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, the, the one the next question I guess with in particular with Joe Biden is he hasn't done as well in the state polling in Iowa and New Hampshire, but just continues to to get the closest to that thirty percent mark, and every once in a while over it. Um, Catherine, do you think either A, can he um, catch fire in Iowa and or New Hampshire and exceed expectations there, or is he going to still finish third or fourth and it ain't going to matter because he's going to win South Carolina? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, I don't, I just don't have, um, I just don't have a handle on, on, on that. I, I, I I mean, I suppose that could work for him, depending on who wins in the other states and, you know, who's got money left and all those, you know, important uh, dynamics. But I, it's just really hard for me to guess. Yeah. Uh, Tim, your thought on how does he uh, – the opposite of Pete Buttigieg, how does he uh, withstand well, Iowa, if you will? Well, uh you, you know, you, you get the feeling that he hasn't hit Iowa that hard. He he has campaigned there uh, less than uh, some of the other candidates have. You get the feeling that his organization is not quite as far flung in, in Iowa as some other candidates are. Uh, I, I guess 
I want to compare him to Bill Clinton, who uh, did not win either Iowa or New Hampshire and then went on to win the nomination. It is a rare occurrence when it happens, but it's set up this year for that very thing to happen. And I think the secret is African-American voters. They represent such a large section nationally of Democratic primary voters that if they stick with uh, Joe Biden in the numbers that this polling data is showing they will, uh, I don't see how he can miss getting the nomination. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to unfold, and, you know, if he doesn't win those first two states, and then he continues to have problems in other states with profiles like Iowa, like New Hampshire, but then can win where the places have more African-American support that could fall into a broker convention. Well, I do want to move into another topic, but one final little thing. I kind of looked at the candidate sites, and I had just listened to that book about Joe Biden. And I saw the, the, the saddest but, I guess, poignant picture on his website. He actually has a picture with his first daughter, the daughter that died in the car accident, on his shoulders. And I just was like, I, I couldn't imagine putting a, a picture on my website that would make me cry um, when I was the candidate. But just very, very sad but touching that he, that he hearkened back to that. And I don't think without hearing the biography you would even necessarily put that together. That that was that um, his oldest daughter um, in that picture. Um, well, let's uh, move on to another topic of the night, and we're going to talk about our congressional district that Tim and I live in. Fortunately, unfortunately, I like where I live. I just wish we had uh, better politics. Um, but a few weeks ago, we discussed that Tom Graves, kind of out of nowhere, um, announced he's not returning to Congress. And people, I guess, assumed that definitely on the Republican side, but probably even on the Democratic side, there would be candidates jumping their race. It's been over a month, Tim, and the only candidate that's announced is Marjorie Green. And kind of the strange thing about that is she had been running in the 6th District for most of this year and just decided to switch over, if you will, and no one locally that actually lives in the district has yet to announce in a decent number of people, like I know the uh, state representative from Cedartown, Trey Kelly, I want to say um, Jeff Mullis up your way, has announced they won't run. Um, why has this race been so slow to develop? You know, that is a good question. I can see why it's been slow to develop on the Democratic side. I mean, the way this district is drawn, it would take a Herculean effort plus like a, a, a miracle of the biblical Old Testament variety for a Democrat right now to run in a year when an incumbent Republican who's very popular as president uh, it would, would be at the top of the ticket in this district and, and, and even make it a competitive race. I mean, we've talked, you know, with a little bit of humor about the last Democrat we had running up here a couple of years ago uh, ran a fine race from jail in Dalton and got, what, 27% of the vote. 
I, I think a good, solid Democrat runs here and maybe it, it might break 35 in a good year, which next year here is probably not going to be a good year. Um, and as for the Republican side, this lady supposedly has a lot of money at her disposal and a lot of uh, support. Uh, institutional support. So I've got to wonder if she's scaring out some of these other Republicans like the couple that you mentioned. Um, What do you think, Catherine? That's a good point. I I didn't really look into her that much, but um, that's a a good point. If she has a lot of money, then it will scare people away. And... uh, That would that would that would go some ways to explaining why nobody else has jumped in. They still have time, so I mean it is getting to the point where they people need to make decisions. But um, there is still time, especially since there's only one candidate in the race. Yeah. Um, well, well, first I want to go back to how Republican this district is. Um, I kind of have a feeling if the headline came out tomorrow that said Superman announces for uh, Georgia's 14th Congressional District, about 50 to 60 percent of the voters in the district would probably say, man, I used to like and trust Superman. Um, you know, that would be the reaction. Um, uh-huh. you, know, it, you know, that's kind of how they think, well, no matter how good the candidate is, oh, well, if they're a Democrat, you know, how, how did they get brain damaged? Um, yeah. But talking about this Marjorie Green that that switched over, one, it's kind of this process of clearing everybody out of the sixth district. So Karen Handel has the one-on-one rematch uh, against Lucy McBath. I don't know why that's such a strategy for the Republicans because I, I just don't think 2020 is going to be a whole lot different than 2018. One of the bigger problems is going to be um, – Lucy McBath's kind of incumbency uh, and the chance to have constituent services. So I, I don't know, you know, why the Republicans want to do that, but they moved her over. But Tim, I think you know this area, particularly a lot of the more conservative Republican voters in Rome and Dalton and and you know Lafayette, these bigger cities, they're very you know territorial. They want one of their own. And this is a lady that lives in Metro Atlanta, and. I just don't think that's going to play real well. I think she could be defeated in a primary because of that one fact. What's your thought, Tim? Well, there's always one Repub- one person out there. I'm not going to say one Republican. It's true in either party. When, a, when an opening comes up above you, there's always somebody looking to move up. I have got to think at the end of the day that some Republican elected official – Somewhere in this district, uh, whether they be a state representative that's tired of going to Atlanta or whether they be a local elected official like a sheriff or, or a commissioner or something, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to give it a try and say why not, and they will uh, run against the, quote, interloper. End uh, end of the district, and 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 they would be very smart to do that. On the Democratic side, I'm thinking 
there's got to be just a half decent Democrat out there somewhere that's saying, well, nobody else is going to get in the race. I'll get in because I'm going to be the nominee. Maybe lightning will strike, and plus I'll get my name out there and people will know who I am. Good luck with that, by the way. Uh, (laughs) So it's going to be hard, though. I mean, uh, this county here until recently never had a Republican elected official. It was the most Democratic county north of Fulton uh, until very, very recently. And and like our nominee for president got 21% of the vote uh, in 2016. I doubt if our nominee gets 20% of the vote in 2020 and will be one of the better performing counties in this district for the Democrats. So that that's what you're looking at here. It, it's going to be this district has been surgically drawn so that a Republican cannot possibly lose. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe. Do you see it any differently, David? You live here like I do. Oh, I think that you know. Ninety percent of the action in this race is going to be in the Republican primary. Um, you know, odds on that person will win. Um, so therefore, more candidates should get in this race, even if Marjorie Green, you know, resided in the district for the past decade. It still seems like it's you know too good to get uh, in the Republican primary that more folks will get in. So I think they have to. It's just surprised me that a few have already just said no. I have to think that part of it was that no one expected um, Tom Graves to resign, and therefore nobody yeah. was thinking about this. They weren't, you know, like, you know, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Well, they didn't even know they had to stay ready because they had no idea this was coming up because he was so young and seemingly popular within the Republican Party that they didn't know that they had to um, even begin to get ready to think about this. And for a lot of them, it all, pretty much all of them, it has to be from a thinking of a statewide race to a federal race, which has a whole different set of rules. Um, but I have to think someone gets in. You know, best case scenario for the Democrats is there are a few seats, and it is a very few, but there are a very few seats in which, if they were to be vacated, then a Democrat could compete. For that state house seat in particular, I'm not even sure if there's a state senate seat. I'd say that about. Um, and if one of those candidates were to jump in, that might create an opening there to kind of be the the silver lining for Democrats. Um, but you just have to think that somebody's going to see, hey, we can you know win this thing and become a congressional representative, not a state house or state senate member. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of see uh, as this develops, but I have to think um, as the legislative session opens, somebody's going to have to make a plan for this because that impacts your fundraising. I know you can't raise state funds if you're running uh, or if you're serving in the state legislature. Can you raise federal funds? While serving as state house, I don't think you can. I don't think you can do any fundraising according to the laws of Georgia. Yeah, someone's going to have to resign then. If 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 we're talking if we're talking about a state house member or a state senator. Now, if we're talking about a school board member or a county commissioner or someone that used to serve, then that could be different. Um, 
but I know some of the suspects are mentioned are in the legislature, and then they would have to resign uh, pretty quickly, you would think, to get their you know money raised because the legislative session will likely go until May. That gives you no time to fund a campaign. Right. Oh, it, yeah. it shouldn't go until May. Well, April. I mean, it, it, you know, it it's going to go a while. The end of March. It's usually the end of March. Okay. First week in April. Yeah. But, I guess yeah, it's going to go a long time. Yeah, so you still, uh, it's it's coming soon. I'm going to predict a, there's going to be w- at least one old semi-well-known Republican. Uh, especially yeah. in their home county, that's going to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. I really think if if anybody that's a sheriff would like to move up, that that would be the office to try to propel yourself from because you are going to be well-known and well-liked in your home county. If you happen to be from either Floyd or Whitfield counties where the population centers are, all the more better. And also, David, uh, some of the names uh, have been mentioned in your county among the state representatives. You know, uh, Katie's name's been mentioned. Eddie Lumsden's name has been mentioned. Uh, have you seen anything in the local news down there about them thinking about it or anything? Well, you keep mentioning it. It's kind of like people are speculating for them. And oh, I guess Chuck uh, oh. Stetler has been mentioned as well. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the one person that wouldn't have to then resign a seat like that and could raise money is the fellow that ran against Nathan Deal about five years ago. And I don't know that he would have any repercussions for that. The former mayor of Dalton, David Pennington, I believe his name yeah. is, I've yeah. seen his name mentioned. Um, mm. The sheriff's idea, I know where you're going with that, but um, – Sometimes I don't know that those folks are always a good congressional fit. Um, it, you know, you, you dress a little different, and you're on a little bit different set of issues, and sometimes that seems like that could be a um, a different race, if you will, at times. I guess there's some sheriffs that could do it. Um, well, it's been a good show, uh, one to end the uh, year with, and – we ended up getting a pretty good discussion of the presidential race, and then next week we'll be that much closer to Iowa, and no telling what else will come up in the political world. Until then, it's been the okay. Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. Good everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created.